I have a, I have a, more, a more brief message this morning. It's four pages instead of five, so that's like a whole less page, right? Um, and that's because I want to I give us enough time because I know we don't want to lose a lot of people for our important business meeting, which you're all invited to. You all remember that, right? From earlier, from the announcements, you're all invited. Everyone's invited to stick around afterwards. Okay. Uh, but let's just go to the Lord and say, Lord, would you just come now and speak to us? God, we don't work on our time schedule. We work on yours. And even though we have things that we need to do and a whole schedule of events, we submit those things to you. And we say now, Lord, would you speak to us by your word and open our ears to receive it. In the name of Jesus, amen. All right. Well, if you would open your Bibles, we are in Matthew 6 today. Uh, This is from a portion of Scripture called the Sermon on the Mount. Do you know this portion of Scripture? Yes, it's, it's chapters 5 through 7 of Matthew. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. It's very, you know, it's a popular, it's where we get a lot of iconic sayings from Jesus. A lot of our iconic uh, teachings from Jesus come from this sermon. And I encourage you this week, take some time, read through it. It doesn't take too long. Chapters 5 through 7 of Matthew. We're just looking at one portion of it, and that's in chapter 6. So you can open up to chapter 6, verse 25. And, uh, and we're going to focus in on this, on this little section here. I'm going to read it. I'm going to read the whole section, and then we're going to go back through it. This is verses 25 through 34. It'll be on the screen, too. It says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, what you will wear on your body. Is not life more important than food? Is not the body more important than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed as one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which he is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. I love when I hear people uh, in the secular world giving similar sentiments to something that Jesus said 2,000 years ago, um, and not even realizing that they are recycling the words of our Lord. But our sermon today on worry is not one that is necessarily easy for me to preach about. I am a, what you call a type A personality, if you haven't noticed yet, which means that I, I, you know, I like having goals, and I go for them, and I think about what I am producing, and I think about uh, achieving things, and I worry, uh, and the, the future is always on my mind, what's coming around the next corner. Uh, and into my plans, into my, my worry, comes the words of Jesus, where he says here in verse 25, 
He says, do, you, do not worry about your life. What you will eat or drink is not life more than food. Ambition's good. Making plans is good. Right? We're going to have a business meeting after church that you're all invited to. And we're going to talk about business. It's good to make plans. It's good to have budgets. Um, it's good to not let our lives flounder and to take initiative and to be intentional about our lives and living our lives. But life has got to be more than just a series of wins. Do you know what a win is? A win is like when you've accomplished something. You, you've done it well, now you can put it in the books and say, that's done. And it's counterintuitive because so much of our lives, our school life, our work life, sometimes even our relationships and our families, are about a series of wins, right? You need to get A's in school. You need to produce. You need to produce a certain amount of things. At work, right, you need to get that big sale. You need to do that good job. Even in relationships sometimes, we have a set of expectations for each other and for ourselves. And it's something that's difficult for us to grasp. And in our society, those who cannot produce, those who cannot establish or do these things, those who cannot work effectively or those who cannot... um, those who don't do well in school, they're seen as burdens on our society, right? Because they're not able to produce the sort of wins that we, that we crave. Life is more important than what you can produce. People are more important than their production value. A person's worth is not tied to what they do. It's tied simply to who they are. Cut all that noise out of your life, people. Here Jesus says, what matters is not life more than food. It's not life more than what you can produce. It matters more. You are worthy because you are a child of God. You turn to the person next to you and say, you're a child of God. Okay, now turn to the other person and say, you're a child of God. Make sure everybody gets it. All right. I didn't... uh, I didn't coordinate at all with uh, Dave on, on this sermon. Where, where did he go? Where's, there he is. I didn't coordinate at all with Dave on the sermon. The first song that we sang was so prophetic in, uh, in touching on what we're talking about today. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. And what does it mean for those Israelites coming out of Egypt, right? Having been rescued from slavery, having been freed from Pharaoh, and now... Uh, crossing the desert, coming to the Red Sea and realizing that they were stuck between an army coming to destroy them on one hand and and an impenetrable uh, sea on the other. And as they watched, God begins to separate the sea and the water begins to pile up and they walk through on dry land, reaching the other side and realizing that they had nothing, absolutely nothing to do with that miracle. Their production level for that miracle was at zero. They were going to die, but God intervened. You are worth more to God than what you can produce. He is intent on seeing you as a child of God. And not as somebody, not as just like our society sees, a, a, a series of assets that can be used to produce things. Verse 26, Jesus goes on, he says, Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or stow away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. 
And are you not much more valuable than they? In the next verse here, it says, Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? And what about your clothes? Look how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Go ahead. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in his splendor was dressed like one of these. And if that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and gone tomorrow, how much more will he clothe you, clothe you, you of little faith? This is a, a representation. I didn't get lilies, but technically in, in Greek, it's not lilies. I just, I'm sorry if I just ruined it for you. It's just to refer to a common flower um, that would be uh, around. So we say lilies, but it wasn't really lilies. So I just picked these because they're pretty, right? They're very pretty. Thank you. Thank you, Christine. These are some of the, the prettiest lilies that safe we can produce. <laughs> but they're gorgeous, aren't they? And the point is not that we need to be like, like this, right? The point is not that we need to live like birds, right? Or live like flowers. Um, the point is to realize that a common house sparrow has like a lifespan of three years. Wildflowers have a lifespan of a season, basically. They're here and then they're gone. And yet God is attentive to those things. He watches those things. He watches them grow. He watches them produce. And, and, and it creates this gorgeous beauty that even just lasts for a short period of time. So what about you? What about the fact that God, God took time to mold you in your mother's womb? Did you know that? He was watching over you all that time. And, and as you were born, as you begin to grow and go to school and learn and develop relationships with people, and even as you entered into high school or college or work or, and, and had a family of your own, he's watching over your life. Brothers and sisters, if he can watch over a sparrow for three years and then it dies, if he can watch over a wildflower over a season and then it dies, how much more? Is he watching over you, child of God? Oh, you have little faith. Don't you realize? He's watching over your life. This is what Jesus is telling us. This is what Jesus is telling us about the Father. In this series, we're talking about Jesus showing us who the Father is. Here, Jesus shows us that the Father is someone who is attentive to you, who sees you as a child, even as his own child. Jesus goes on, he says, worry is not going to add an hour to your life. And in fact, we know nowadays with uh, you know, modern medicine, it can actually shorten your life quite substantially. I was reading uh, uh, an article put out by Harvard Medical School, which linked um, intestinal disorders, heart disease, uh, chronic fatigue, and not to mention all the mental, uh, possible mental disabilities and mental uh, illnesses to a state of chronic stress and anxiety. And how, uh, how influential that can be over our lives. Now, it's healthy to have a certain amount of worry. Right? It's healthy to have a certain amount of fear. If you were facing down an animal that was coming at you, you don't want to be like, well, you know. <laughs> he's going to do what he's going to do. You know, That's not what you... <laughs> You're not designed that way, right? There's a part of your brain. Who, if you want to know some trivia, here's some trivia. It's called the amygdala. Can you say amygdala? Amygdala. It's a little almond-shaped part of your brain that, that's responsible for your fear. And it's responsible for basically making sure that when you're in a, a situation where you need to be afraid, your fear 
it happens. And your adrenaline pumps up, your heartbeat starts going, your muscles start getting primed to run or to fight or something like that. That's how you're designed. That's a good thing, right? You need to be afraid sometimes. Okay, so I'm not saying don't do that. Uh, They were doing some tests on monkeys. It was a long time. It was a little unethical, but I apologize for that. I didn't do it. But they actually removed the amygdalas for some monkeys. Because what they, they were trying to figure out was the exact relationship between fear and the brain. And primates, uh, monkeys, are naturally, they're born afraid of snakes. Did you know that? It's very interesting. They're naturally afraid of snakes. A monkey who has never seen a snake, never interacted with a snake before, if you show it a snake or you put a snake near it, it'll freak out. Right? It is designed to not like snakes. That makes a lot of sense, Right? If you don't want to get eaten by a snake, you should be afraid of them. You shouldn't, you shouldn't want to be around them. I'm afraid of snakes. So they removed some amygdalas from some monkeys because they wanted to see what would happen. They released a snake into the monkey's cage. And the monkeys went right up to there, you know, naturally curious, and started playing with the snake and touching the snake. And they realized if this was the wild, you know, that monkey would not stand a chance. It's good to have a little bit of fear, right? It's good to have a little bit of anxiety every once in a while. But the difference between that, the difference between a helpful level of fear and what we're experiencing today, which is every television show, every news broadcast, every time you open the newspaper, every time you turn on the radio, a constant high level of anxiety and fear being fed into our society, that is dangerous. It's dangerous because we cannot sustain that sort of level of anxiety. And all of a sudden, it kind of becomes the background noise to our lives, right? To such an extent that, I don't know if you've ever done this before, but sometimes I'll be working or driving in my car, and somebody will come into my car, and they'll say, what's that noise? And I'll say, what are you talking about? They'll say, can't you hear that, that humming noise? And I'll realize that there's a noise that's been going on in my car for such a long time, I've gotten used to it. My, my level of noise has increased, and, and now I can't even recognize when noise occurs. It's the same thing in our society today. So much fear, so much anxiety, so much of fight and flight, so much uh, of the heart rate racing, it becomes a new normal. And then all of a sudden, the times when we need to be afraid, we can't. The times when we need to access healthy fear, we can't. And the times when we need to relax, and be calm and not be afraid. We can't even do that anymore. It's completely distorted our normal levels. That's a problem. It's a real problem. It's going to produce health problems. And it's also going to produce spiritual problems. Because when we allow anxiety to be a constant part of our lives, we become fixated on the problem, on anxiety instead of the solution. And it paralyzes us. Paralyzes us from being able to do well. And to make a better world for ourselves. Jesus comes into this situation. And he pushes back. He pushes back on these ideas. Pushes back on it. This is what I love about Jesus. This is what I love about scripture. I, I, don't, I don't care if it's 2,000 years after Jesus or 4,000 years after Jesus. Jesus is going to be pushing back on people. Until he comes back. And we all get on the same page with him. Jesus' witness, Jesus' words, his actions are constantly pushing back against us and saying, have you considered this? Have you thought about this? Can you change this? This is wrong. This is right. Do this. 
And here Jesus speaks to us, even in our own context, and says, do not worry about these things. Don't allow that constant state of anxiety to be present. Don't you realize, Jesus says, don't you realize your father watches sparrows? He watches their whole life cycle. From egg to death, he watches them. Don't you realize he provides for flowers? They're only here for a small season of time, but he's there providing for them. How much more, how much more, beloved, will he provide for you? Child of God, do not be afraid. Don't be anxious. Allow Jesus' words to come into your life. Allow them to seep in and begin to cool down some of those fears. Allow him to speak to you and allow the anxiety levels to just decrease. God has got this world in his hands. Still, even still, he has this world under control. And I, I want to, as a, as a person who loves history, I want to tell you this is not the most disruptive in history we've ever been. There have been times where we've actually been worse off than where we are right now. And God has seen us through those times too. He's going to see us through this time, through this season of life, as a people, as a, as a planet. He's going to see us through. So do not worry about those things. Life is so much more important than those things. Why do the pagans run after these things? Jesus says, the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Why do the pagans run after them? Because the pagans have no faithful God watching over their lives. For somebody without God, it makes a lot of sense to be completely afraid of what's coming around the corner. Right? You have to be prepared because there's nobody else going to get you back. Right? You've got to look out for number one because nobody else is going to look out for number one. I know as a fact that it may not be always be comfortable. I may not always come out smelling like roses. I may fail. I may fail spectacularly. But I know that no matter what season I walk through, God is going to be with me. And I can trust in that. So I can allow myself to lean on and feed on the grace and the compassion and the faithfulness of my God. That's what we need. I don't know what's coming around the corner exactly, but I know for a fact that God is going to see me through. He's going to see you through as well. Back in 1905, there was a song written out of the African-American gospel tradition um, based on this verse. And it was a lyric by the name of uh, Sevilla D. Martin, Sevilla Martin, and her husband. She and her husband were visiting some friends of theirs. And uh, it was a married couple, and the, and the wife of their friend here, she, was, she had been bedridden for like 20 years. And her husband was in a wheelchair, and that's how he went about. And uh, Sevilla was there with her husband, and she, these, this couple was so full of joy. What did she say? She said they lived happy Christian lives, bringing inspiration and comfort to all who knew them. And she wanted to know, what's, what's going on here? So she asked him, she said, well, what is your secret? How are you doing this? And the woman smiled at her and she said, God's eyes on the sparrow. And I know he watches me. Do you know that song? It goes, why should I feel discouraged? Why should the shadows come? Why should I, my heart be lonely? 
and long for heaven and home. When Jesus is my portion, my constant friend is he. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. The chorus goes like this. I sing because I'm happy. I sing because I'm free. His eye is on the sparrow. And I know he watches me. There's some of us here today who have allowed fear and anxiety to rule your life. And you need to hear God is watching over you. He saw your beginning. He sees your end. And I don't know what kind of storms you have to pass through from start to finish, but I know that God is watching over you. He's watching over your life. He's watching over your soul. That's our inheritance. As children of God, that's our inheritance. We get God. We need to have a change of focus. Jesus goes on, verse 33, let's move on here. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. There's another song there, you can sing it later. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Jesus encourages us, take your eyes off of your anxiety, take it off of your fear, and begin to focus on something else. Seek first God's kingdom and God's righteousness. See, because God's in charge of God's kingdom, right? God produces God's righteousness. We're talking about producers. This goes from seeing me as the primary producer. Now I can look to God as the producer. I can focus on his kingdom and on his righteousness, not my own kingdom and not my own righteousness, his kingdom and his righteousness. The words here draw to mind, there's a story that you might know out of 1 Kings uh, where Solomon, the king, he's a son of David, and he's beginning to rule uh, this kingdom of Israel and Judah, and God comes to him and says, Solomon, ask whatever it is that you would like, and I'll give it to you. And Solomon thinks about his position of authority, um, and he says, Lord, what, what I desire is wisdom, to be able to rule your people wisely. And the Lord says to him, you know what, Solomon, because you asked for something that wasn't going to benefit yourself, but was going to benefit my kingdom, going to benefit the people I'm serving, I'm going to give you everything else along with it. Everything, he says, I'm going to give you everything you didn't ask for. Long life and riches and all that. When we begin to focus on God, take our focus off of ourselves and onto God, God begins to produce and bless and make manifold his goodness in our lives. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, sisters and brothers, and all other things will be taken care of as well. I want to finish with, this is a quote, this is from a, a commentary on, on the book of Matthew. And, um, uh, the commentary said this, he said, the distinctive mark of the Christian is that he desires first and foremost that God's triumph over evil should be completed, that he should reign in the hearts of men, and that his righteousness, his standards of justice, 
should be universally accepted. I want to stop looking at myself, and I want to start looking at God. Get my eyes off of the fear and anxiety of this world, and on to God and his kingdom. So we're going to pray now, and I want to encourage you. Um, I'm going to pray for us. But if this is something that's touched your heart, if you feel like, go ahead and close your eyes. If you feel like this is something that's touched your heart, that you feel like, I have been allowing fear and anxiety, or even I've allowed the level of anxiety of this world to influence my life so that it's raised my anxiety level. Would you just put your hands out in front of you? We put our hands out in front of us just like this, and we say, Lord, would you take from us our anxiety? Jesus, take from us our fear. Lord, we give to you all of our anxious thoughts. And now, Lord, as we receive from you, I pray that you would pour out your spirit on us. Lord, would you, as you are faithful, God, and I don't, I don't believe in hocus pocus, I believe in the word of God. And your word says that if we ask for anything in your name, that you will give it to us. So in your name, Jesus, we ask that you would take our anxiety. Take it from us, Jesus. From every one of us today, would you lift off that anxiety and worry and fear. And Holy Spirit, come now and fill. Come now and fill in those gaps. Fill us with boldness and courage, Lord. Fill us with trust and faith, Father. Fill us with your Holy Spirit that we can live in this world and live as different, as different people than the people around us. And I pray for protection over the ears and the eyes of these people, and especially over our children, as they are encountering a world which is built on fear. Would you, like a, like a shield, deflect fear as it begins to come into our lives, that we would not be affected by those things, that we would be able to make sound and right decisions based on your word, Lord, and not based on fear. We are no longer slaves to fear, in the name of Jesus, we are child, children of God. I ask, Lord, that you would come and do that in our hearts and our lives, God. As we look to this next year, even as we uh, prepare for this business meeting, I ask that we would be uh, focused on your kingdom and your righteousness. That we wouldn't act out of fear, Lord. Even as a church, we wouldn't act out of fear, but that we would act uh, knowing that you are going to guide us through every storm that comes. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Let me speak a blessing over you. Now to him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages and now and forevermore. Amen.